Protests are breaking out all over the world, probably coming soon to a theater near you. Why is that happening? Let's go take a look. The following is the audio version of a video released at peakprosperity.com. Visit peakprosperity.com to watch the video and to find other insightful content such as articles, discussion forums, and exclusive subscriber-only content. Hello, everyone. Dr. Chris Martinson back here with you after a little bit of time off on the road. And uh, boy, we have a lot to cover, but I do want to start here. You know, there's two things that I am bringing to you on a routine basis. One, the science. We go through the science papers. I will help you understand that. I'm a dot connector. I'm an explainer, very good translator of scientific papers. And part of that dot connecting, I'm trying to make sense of this, just like you are. What is really going on out there in the world? How do we make sense of it? Most importantly, how do we prepare ourselves for that mentally, physically, financially, emotionally? We really have to prepare for rapidly changing times. And I do think that this context of these times is something known as the fourth turning in the Strauss and Howe methodology. And the fourth turning is the fourth in a series of turnings, which is marked by the words crisis and, most importantly, a loss of faith in the institutions of your time. And these crises have emerged all throughout history. Feels like we're kind of at our own fourth turning moment here now. I certainly have lost a lot of faith in our leading institutions because they've proven to be venal, corrupt, self-serving, interested in things other than doing their jobs, which in the case if you're a public health body is serving the public health. Obviously, that hasn't been anywhere near the top of the list of many public health bodies, despite what the media would try and have you believe, despite their own verbiage, their actions and the results speak for themselves. So people have finally tired of this to the point of breaking, and we're seeing that all over the world. So let's turn now to what we're seeing, and this may or may not have been part of your media landscape. This really wasn't something that I saw much in my mainstream media here in the United States on November 20th, which was the day that all of these things happened all across Europe, in Canada, a few in the United States, but mostly this was a European um, adventure. And so let's turn there. Al Jazeera here reporting on these protests erupting all over Europe. As you can see, they got fairly violent. And this is between, in many cases, uh, the police and the people. Obviously, the people are fairly upset. They're upset against these new COVID-19 restrictions. There's lockdowns. There's actual rioting breaking out. There's real violence. Um, Obviously, we can see that the people are kind of done, kind of kind of upset, kind of at their wits end. So we are in one of the darkest moments of Dutch history that we repeat history at this moment, that we exclude people who have another opinion about their uh, their medical treatment. And if they choose to do something else, they are excluded from society. That othering, that othering on the basis of making a decision, a medical decision that's different for you than for somebody else, that's a a dark moment in history as I've come to see it now because of the way the data stacks up and what we know about the actual risk from this and what we know about the actual ability or inability of these particular vaccines to um, uh, actually prevent somebody from catching and spreading the disease. So it's really, it's, it's the incoherence of the policies that are starting to wear people down. It's the incoherence of the economic policies, right? It's uh, your small business has to close down. I'm sorry, your small restaurant must close. But, oh, the Tim Hortons, the McDonald's, the, uh, the Starbucks, those can stay open because those are essential. That's an incoherent policy. 
But it starts to look coherent when you understand big corporations managed to stay open. Small businesses, medium-sized enterprises were shut down. We saw that over and over and over again. There was incoherent medical policy. No mention of vitamin D, even though we know how well that works. No mention of the importance of exercise or the fact that that this uh, disease transmits exceedingly poorly, if at all, in an outdoor setting. Yet people are being locked inside their homes where, as we know, and we've known for over a year, this is the prime place for the disease to spread. So it's that incoherence between what the actions are and what would be the right actions knowing that oftentimes the wrong actions are picked over the right actions over and over and over again to the point that you would say, geez, coin flip, 50-50, you'd get it right half the time, wrong half the time. What do you do when your policies get it wrong almost every time? This. Police open fire. Hundreds of thousands would be more accurate. Yeah, they are for the we are also faced with the regular that come now, also with both vaccine pass and with a sudom that is not farly. There are many lawyers that have said that it is not more farly than normal influenza. Influenza har der været i mange år, så jeg tænkte, at, at, at nu har vi fået nok. Altså, nu gider vi ikke mere, og så har været... All right, as you can see, obviously uh, very widespread, all sorts of people taking to the streets, all sorts of different grievances, but they basically can be summarized into, wow, we're tired of these incoherent policies that don't really make sense. What they didn't mention there is that many of the countries with rapidly rising case counts are also countries that happen to be some of the most heavily vaccinated, which, again, just runs afoul of that logic, such as it is, which says the way to get past this is we need people to be vaccinated, that if you are vaccinated, you can be free and you can have a passport and you can travel or you can have a job. Right. So I'm going to talk about more of this in a future episode. But for now, I just wanted to raise your awareness around the fact that we are at this part of the social dimension of this particular crisis, this pandemic, where because of the actions of various officials and public officials and governments, people have finally had enough. And I think we can understand why, particularly if you hold the point of view that, hey, this uh, disease on balance in total is not more deadly than the flu, which is actually what the infection fatality rate would indicate is the case, especially when we have appropriate early treatment. Uh, so given that, 
what is to come and where do we see this going? So, my, you know, my framing, I, I, framing for me is trying to understand things within a larger construct. So if you didn't see this, this is from episode 16, and this is called Rats in a Cage. I've got the link to it down there at the bottom. So if you want to follow that link and watch this, it's a great episode. A lot of people said they really liked it. And the episode centers on this idea that uh, when... Very briefly, rats in a cage refers to this phenomenon. It's, it refers to a thing known in psychological terms as shock-induced aggression. You can see the search term down there that if you wanted to search that yourself, shock-induced aggression in rats, dogs, primates. It's, it's a very well-known psychological phenomenon within social species, and it works like this. The shock is real. You take a rat, you put it in a cage, and you give it an electric floor and nowhere to escape, and you shock it, hey, guess what? It's going to be a very unhappy rat. You can shock it and shock it, and, you know, it's going to get balled up and, you know, try and make itself as small as possible, and it's going to be unhappy, but that's going to be about it. The problem is when you put a second rat in that cage, now there's two rats getting shocked. Now they have something to direct their uncomfortableness, their their dis-ease, their, un- their, their harm against. They have another rat that they can say, ah, must be you, and they fight. And if you shock them enough, they'll fight to the death. Uh, A lot of very unfortunate sort of experiments that were done, but it's been done over and over again. So this is a well-known phenomenon. When you take a social species and you make it exceedingly uncomfortable without a means of escaping that discomfort, it will begin to turn against another member of its own species, or maybe a a different species if one happens to be available. But that shock-induced aggression is what happens when caged species fundamentally can't resolve where the pain is coming from. They don't know it's coming from the dude in the white lab coat out there, so they look at each other and they point at each other. So the police and the protesters, to me, rats in a cage. The left versus the right at the street level, rats in a cage. We have to understand how the cage is constructed and who's actually administering the shocks. And that's something I'm going to be going into uh, in far more depth in part two of this For all of you who are watching, who are members and subscribers at Peak Prosperity, be sure to follow this one. Right after this, come on over and check out part two. We're going to be talking about what that agenda might be and what my predictions are for how this is going to turn out over the next coming months and ways you might get prepared. Because three times is enemy action, but a three raised to the fifth, it's way more enemy action. Like I said earlier, coin flips, we'd have gotten this accidentally right at some point along the way that the health authorities have come up with coin flips that are all tails and uh, tells me that this is no longer just incompetence, that there's something else running. And I think people have started to detect that same vibe. They're understanding now that if this was just incompetence, guess what? You you petition your, your so-called authorities, you educate them, they go, oh my God, I was an idiot, and they change, but they aren't. They're digging in their heels instead. They are not changing. What are they doing? is they're doubling down, they're tripling down. So this is what it looked like in Croatia, was absolutely packed. This is what it looked like in Rome, Italy, where they were chanting, we are not giving you our children. That's their line in the sand, is not vaccinating the children. Now, if you've heard, there's a similar program and a movement here in the United States called the Unity Project, and you can find out more about that. That's around uh, not it's around resisting the vaccine mandates for 5 to 11-year-old children in California in or as a, as a means, sorry, as a um, precondition for going to school. Uh, so here they are in Rome. Listen to the energy in this. Yes, oh, those people. 
Now, the media here in the United States is doing everything it possibly can to convince you that there's just a few fringe anti-vax people uh, sort of complaining about things. But that's not what's happening here. These are people who are against the mandates. In Italy, they have a very strict set of rules that says if you are not fully vaccinated, you cannot work. And in other countries, it's that plus you get fined. These are very strong coercive measures to get people to comply with the public health policy of getting vaccinated. Now, that's fine if that's the the program we want to take, but there ought to be a clear understanding and a clear, open, transparent public dialogue about what are the risks, what are the benefits. Um, There ought to be some basis for people to have medical exclusions. There ought to be some basis for people to have religious waivers. There ought to be some basis for people to have absolute medical waivers on the basis of the fact that they've already had COVID and they have a a prior immunity uh, to it. So this is Rome. This is what they're saying there. Uh, Melbourne, there were 300,000 plus. It was uh, described as 350,000 plus. Melbourne's interesting. We're going to get back to Australia. That's a special case, what's happening there right now. Belgium, uh, as we saw in the Al Jazeera, this is what it looks like uh, before the police were out on their horses. What's going on here? Well, rats in a cage is one thing where we understand that a lot of these people are fighting and and not understanding where the shocks are really coming from in this story. But this is actually, I think, one of the oldest stories we have out there. Philip II of Macedon, he was the king back then in uh, uh, 359 BC to 336 BC when he was assassinated. And he uh, is attributed with coming up with that Divide et impera, divide and rule. Divide and rule is one of the oldest things out there. If you can get parties that would otherwise come together in unity to be separate and fighting with each other, that's really good for you at the top. That's how you would like to operate that. If you couldn't, it's a very old strategy. It's been used by all sorts of empires, colonialists. It's now being used very, very professionally within our own media architecture to keep people divided, keeping them isolated, keeping them feeling that they're alone, that they don't really have a voice, that they're isolated. But when we see things like this, we understand you're not alone. We're not alone. There are reasonable, legitimate gray zone. There's a big gray zone between pro-vax, anti-vax. There's a lot of gray zone in there um, because it turns out not all products are created simple. That's like saying, are you pro-car or anti-car? Well, I don't know. Am I talking about a Pinto or a Tesla? I mean, there's a little gray in there, right? Are you for seatbelts or anti-seatbelts? Well, I'm against seatbelts made out of razor blades, right? So you can you can have these shades of gray. It's okay. It's okay to have these nuances. In fact, that's part of it. But if you want to divide and rule, divide a tempera, if you want rats in a cage, you apply shocks and you keep people separated. They become very, very unhappy. When you lock people down for two years, they get unhappy. And with any luck, if you're on uh, Team Effete, not Team Elite, somebody at my site said we should call them Effetes, not Elites. If you're on Team Effete, you actually want these these uh, everybody sort of fighting amongst each other as much as possible. But that's breaking down. That story is breaking down rapidly. And when it does, I think we're going to see very, very rapid, very marked social, political changes Given where we are in the shortages, given where we are in the supply chain issues, given where we are in the energy story, this could be a very turbulent, if not disruptive, period of time. And I want you to be aware of that and be alert to the importance of being resilient in times like these. So 
Let's talk about a special case where I think uh, Australia is sort of like the test bed, the Petri dish for all things going a little off off the rails. A reporter asked the question, which you will be able to see, you know, you'll probably be able to hear it dimly, but you'll be able to see the words down below. This is the response uh, back from the Australian official. And what caught me was how few times this gentleman blinked. I can't I could try and hold my eyes open this long, but I'll be crying at the end of it. I don't know how people like this keep their eyes like this, but uh, beyond sort of the uh, facial expression, for yourself, what's the vibe you're getting off of this gentleman in terms of being a public health official who cares about your health? Calling people anti-vaxxers, some of whom were vaccinated, has had an impact at all on vaccine take-up in parts of the territory? No. And I'll repeat it. If you are anti-mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. I don't care what your personal vaccination status is. If you support, champion, give a green light, give comfort to, support anybody who argues against the vaccine, you are an anti-vaxxer. Absolutely. Your personal vaccination status is utterly irrelevant. If you campaign against the mandate, if you campaign against people being vaccinated in vulnerable settings, teachers in classrooms, I'll be really clear, at that point in time, people were actually supporting the idea of a teacher being unvaccinated in a remote community classroom with kids who cannot be vaccinated. I reject that, I still reject it. And if you are out there in any way, shape or form campaigning against this mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. If you say pro-persuasion, stuff it, shove it. We are absolutely gonna make sure as many territorials as possible are vaccinated. That is our best protection against this thing. And if you look at the Doty model that's only come out since, that says if you double dose 80 in remote communities, five and up, I think you'll see our vaccine mandate is absolutely crucial to protecting lives, particularly Aboriginal lives. And I will never back away from supporting vaccines. And anyone out there who comes for the mandate, you are anti-vax. Whoa. All right. Okay. So if you are against the mandate in any way, shape or form for children five and up against any of those categories, you are anti-vax. You see that? The us and them, the othering, there's black and white. You're either pro-vax or anti-vax and that's it. And, and it's what I say, ages five and up. That's what the data says, he says. Now, if you lived in a proper country with proper journalists, they would say, which data is that? Because we have data that shows that children in particular are almost entirely 100%, as close to 100% as you can get in a population of millions immune from this COVID virus. Second, we know that some people are harmed by these vaccines. Third, we do know that uh, these vaccines do not prevent the transmission or catching of this uh, virus. And, and finally, we know that they only last for a period of time and then they wane relatively quickly. He should have to answer to the question of, are we talking about a lifetime of boosters? We should have that conversation because we know the boosters are going to have an impact. We know that the vaccines have an impact. We know that on balance, public health ought to be a very simple conversation, which is on balance, if we do this, are more people going to die or not die? On balance, if we do this, are more people going to live longer, happier, healthier, non-morbid lives or shorter sicker lives. We should be able to answer that. Just bring the data out. If it's a clear win, it's a clear win. And we can talk about that. But even with that, I'm speaking to you from the United States of America, where we have certain rights in this country 
And it is absolutely un-American to coerce somebody to do something against their will when you could or should be in the business of persuading them. That's absolutely the case for me, and that's something I'm going to stand by, that these that what's happening right now is we're not having, having what we should have, which is a complete open dialogue about this amongst and within our elected body officials, not functional bureaucrats, not unelected people who are sort of stuffed into positions, not contractors who are coming up with talking point plans, but we should be having a full open dialogue as a society about what we want to do. Because as we saw from those people in Europe being locked up for two years or in Australia where they're going on two years of lockdowns as well, that has an enormous, extraordinary impact. And so we should talk about that and we should be able to have the ability as adults to say, what is uh, our decision? What would we like to do? Now, this guy, however, I will tell you, uh, he's speaking in a way that is very familiar to me now here in the United States and probably to people in other countries, which is as if he's kind of angry. I'm getting a lot of anger off of this guy. That's how I read it. I'm reading this is a gentleman who's angry because people haven't complied with what he said they should do, right? I'm getting a, a little bit of that creepy vibe of, of somebody who gets mad when they aren't cr- followed exactly, when they're crossed a little bit. In fact, those eyes, the way those eyes don't blink, you know, if we watch that. Comfort to support Look at this. Who argues against the vaccine, you are an I've anti-vaccine. seen this somewhere before. Absolutely. Your personal vaccination status is utterly irrelevant. If you campaign against the mandate. Right. I remember now. This is the last time I saw this. That's the vibe I'm getting right there. I absolutely am. I'm making a joke of it. But I mean, this this guy is absolutely out. He's livid that people aren't following what he says and he's not offering anything. He said, he said, I'm not interested. He said, flat out, we are not interested in persuading. We're not going to persuade anymore. We're not about persuading. We shouldn't have to persuade. We told you that you have to get the vaccines and that's what we told you. And he's mad because people are like, yeah, but I, I think I might need more information. But I already told you. This is like really abusive territory right here. I don't know what's going on with y'all down there in Australia, but I got to tell you, this guy is just giving me the super creepy vibe. Um, and I, I tell you, I've, I've, seen, I've seen it somewhere before. All right. So Austria on the rise. Uh, let's take a quick peek here at, at Austria. So Austria has a something of a history with understanding what it means to other people and discriminate and begin to section people and create different social rules and constructs for different classes of people based on a set of criteria that are uh, debatably uh, insignificant when it comes to whether or not they're actually humans or not. So Austria on the rise. Again, this was my local paper. They said hundreds. I don't see hundreds. Um, I see many thousands. This is just one square. This is in Linz. It stretched on and on and on. Uh, so there were quite a few people here. And so thousands and thousands of people showing up in Linz. Uh, listen, let's just, there's going to be nine separate little windows all running simultaneously here. These uh, protests were happening all over the world. This is millions and millions of people. So the first question you might ask yourself is, did I see this in my newspaper? Is my How, how has my media done at exposing me to the idea that there are now what looks to me to be hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in countries all over the world saying they've had enough, that they're ready to be part of the conversation, that they are ready to have 
a risk-adjusted basis conversation about what we do and what we don't do. Uh, so they're tired of the of the COVID government tyranny, as the way one woman put it. Um, and that's increasingly difficult to see it any other way on my part as well, is that uh, this looks like about compliance, control, coercion, and it's not necessarily about keeping people safe and healthy. Because if it was safe and healthy, there would be a logic to it, a coherence that I'm not seeing. I think this gentleman, James Melville, on Twitter captured it reasonably well. He said, you know, based on we followed the experts, so where did that get us? We stayed home. We shut our businesses. We shut our schools. We didn't visit loved ones. We wore masks. We took the jab. We took another jab. We were threatened to take a jab or become segregated. And they told us to do all of this to be free. But the more we do, the less free we are. I think that's exactly right. That's a, a reasonable summary. And this is something that has... Uh, that I think we need to understand that once you add all of these things up and you say, wait a minute, all of this was so that we could be healthy and free, the health things didn't turn out. I've got all the data there. The health is outcomes are questionable in a lot of Western countries. I got to tell you, Bangladesh, crushing it right now. India, crushing it. I got country after country that's actually got no problem with this. But the countries we just saw that are all protesting are having a very difficult time managing this whole thing for some reason. And when you add all of that up, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the actual agenda that's running? So here's an example. You know, we have to understand what is the logic anymore? And this, by the way, if this, this is not anti-vax, this is asking a question about that's very logical and very organized and very, um, uh, very usual. So Gibraltar, you can see here on the right axis, let me get my drawing tool out. Gibraltar on the right axis is now more than 100% vaccinated. They're at 118%. How's that possible? Because they got to 100% vaccinated and people are on their third jabs. So they're over 100% vaccinated as a total population. And here's what's happening to their case counts of late. If you can find a strong public policy case in there that says, well, obviously, the way that Gibraltar needs to go in order to get out of that predicament is for them to become even more vaccinated, what's the number? Is it 200% vaccinated? 300? A million percent? That's the kind of conversation we need to be having because there ought to be at the highest level a relationship between your actions and the outcomes. You can't divorce the two entirely and keep saying we need more, more of the same action because we're not getting the outcome we want. Sooner or later, you have to answer and ask for that. So the question before us today, is this simply incompetence on the part of the public health bodies or is it something different? Now, in part two of this, I'm going to go and say things. I've probably skated, skated near the edge even in this episode. I have more to say. And so for people who want to hear the rest of my conclusions about what the agenda might be, what my predictions might be, well, part two of this is going to be over at Peak Prosperity. It's being loaded right after this particular episode is up. If you have not come by and you have not been part of Peak Prosperity before and you want to try it out, we have a special offer for you that will show up right here. But for everybody else who has been part of this, listen, it's time for us to get serious. We uh, want you to be resilient. I really think there are things coming. We're going to be talking over there in part two about what's going on with the energy crisis, particularly the energy crisis in Europe. I believe this is part of the explanatory function for what we're seeing. We're going to be talking about 
uh, some of the other sources of enemy action we've been seeing, and in particular, the ways in which the media has been going out of its way, very successfully, I might add, to divide us rather than unite us, going so far as to create completely false impressions about reality in both their minds and the minds of their readers. It's pretty serious at this point in time. Understanding how you're being played is the means to get out of the cage so that you are not a rat in a cage. All right. Other than that, I need you to be ready for the idea that these protests are coming, they're spreading, and I don't see them slowing down until we get logic, coherence, compassion back into our public discourse, which, by the way, we deserve. So let's get it there. Let's work together. Let's unite around this and let's make sure we understand where the shocks are actually coming from because it shouldn't be about us at each other's throat in this story at all. In fact, we need to come together to build a better future. Hey, that's all I have for you today. For everybody else, I will see you over at Peak Prosperity when you come over. All right. Bye-bye.